0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 5 Review Edition. Another uh, nine games completed, knocked off that uh, tally. I don't know what we're down to now, It's uh, I've sort of lost count. But uh, a lot going on in the footy world and we're going to get straight into that. Uh, before we do that, I'll say a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey?
1: Hey, Roko, I'm well. Hope I find you and our loyal listeners in the same good nick that I'm in. And I really reckon we'll look back at the end of the season and say round five was the round where the big boys came out to play and stayed there for the rest of the year. And they're three teams well, I'm thinking of.
0: And they are, quickly? Uh,
1: GWS, Brisbane and the Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, all right. No, big call, but it, uh, we'll look back on that. It could be uh, it could be a very prescient call. But uh, I'll tell you what, every time I eat a hamburger at a certain Melbourne establishment, I look back on that and say, I've just eaten one of the world's, not just Australia's, one of the world's great hamburgers. What place would I be talking about?
1: Andrews, and you know, when you do walk through the door at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, they actually say exactly the same thing. There goes one of the great hamburger eaters, of Australia, because you know your way around a bun, you can tell a good patty from a bad patty, and if the oh, yeah. and if the lettuce and tomatoes aren't dripping with fresh goodness, you're doing the you're doing the old sachet backwards. So they know you and other discerning customers demand the best, get the best, and the you know the great news at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, they've been doing it for 81 years. So they're they're confident they they're comfortable in their own skin because they know they make great burgers.
0: Well, they do indeed. I'll tell you what. too. if I ever get enough money under my belt, which is doubtful, let's be honest, I reckon I'll be looking back at a certain firm's renovations and thinking, "Gee, I'm glad I went with them." Who would I be talking about there?
1: I'll tell you something. I would not put a house on Mayfair or Park Lane. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't pass go without West Point Properties' advice and their business and their their experience. Nick Spartels, he's actually away at the moment. He's in lawn having a break. And I said, have you been busy? He said, flat out, lizard drinking. Because good quality companies have not missed a beat, even during these tough times. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, inner city builders and renovators.
0: Thanks to our wonderful sponsors. Now, before we get into the uh, main agenda item finding, uh, uh, ever-shifting... Uh, playing field is the uh, AFL schedule with uh, the ravages of COVID-19. Now, uh, some big news about the availability of uh, some pretty important players to a few different clubs as all the Victorian clubs basically leave the state for their stay in, I was going to say exile, but quarantine, I think, is fairer. Just bring us up to date on who's missing for whom.
1: The huge shock is that one club is, is going to be really um, seriously impacted by players not willing to go to that hub, and that is the reigning Premier's Richmond. Now, I, I think we all expected most players to be on board, and certainly Richmond, that has been the uh, league standard bearers for the last three seasons, uh, are going to be impacted upon incredibly heavily with no no, no um uh, Shane Edwards, his wife is expecting in August, and Bashar Hawley, whose wife has just given birth to their first son. They are both touted, and I think confirmed now, to stay in Melbourne. Interestingly, Richmond are also not taking between seven and ten list players, youngsters who they say will not press for selection, and they're going to stay in Melbourne and have a camp. With those two players out and a few injuries tonight to the likes of Nan Nankervis, Prestia, and even Cochran, I don't think they can afford to leave players in Melbourne because you can't just fly them up the night before, Rowan.
0: No, you can't. But, uh, well, you know, we're, we're in the 21st century finding. I think anyone who's just had a child... Um, I'm not, talking about, the actually... f-
1: I'm not I'm talking about the five to ten players. They are voluntarily oh, okay,
0: keeping in Melbourne
1: because Neil Baum said they would not be likely to make the team. I don't think a team can take that risk.
0: Yeah, well, you'd want to be hoping you have a don't have a shocking run with injuries at least.
1: Well, they already have. Uh, they uh, had well, three today.
0: Well, no, good point. We've also got some uh, Collingwood big names will be missing at least one game.
1: Well, we know that Jordan De is facing a serious, a serious charge in indecent assault charge, and. Uh, voluntarily, without the AFL's intervention, even though we always know that the AFL may have lines of communication that the public are not aware of, Jordan De will not be with Collingwood for their first game of um, Hub Wars, whatever you want to call them. So he misses out and will not be playing. We believe against Geelong in Perth.
0: Well, I mean, they did say at the start of all this that there may be, you know, players making themselves unavailable. Uh, should they have to go into hubs. So, I mean, perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that much. Do we not sort of take it seriously when it was first mooted as a possibility?
1: Absolutely. The The future fixture for the AFL remains unclear, but I would suggest, as we sit here tonight, Brisbane are uh, the cat that got the cream because there is no football to be played in Victoria. South Australia problematic with their border restrictions and Brisbane, who have been so impressive in their own hub may well, after a couple of games in New South Wales, once again, be hosting a number of games at the Gabba.
0: Yes, well, it's, it's sort of panning out pretty well for the Queensland teams, you'd say, at this stage. Anyway, look, uh, the, the news on, on all this stuff just keeps moving by the hour, let alone by the day, so yep. uh, we're bring, bringing that to you uh early or mid-Sunday evening. Let's see if that's still the situation tomorrow at this time. But we have had nine big games, some uh, important results and some good games among them as well. Um, I reckon we should discuss them in a bit of detail. Finally, let's do that now. On fullyology, wrap around. All right, round five kicked off on Thursday evening. Seems a fair while ago now at Marvel Stadium. It was Carlton taking on St Kilda. And in the end, a pretty good win to the Saints. uh, Eased up a bit, it's fair to say, at the end. And the Blues kicked a few late ones. But 18 points to the Saints in the end. 11 goals, 7-73. Defeating Carlton, 8-7. 55 for the Saints. Two each to Geary, King and Butler. For the Blues, two to Setterfield. They're only multiple uh good players for the Saints, Steele, uh, Long, Billings, Rowan Marshall really good again in the ruck, really like Nick Caulfield's game, bit of a perhaps a, a breakout game for him. Uh, for the Blues, Jack Martin gave uh, four-quarter consistent effort, set of field wasn't bad, and Cripps came into it very late. In fact, he'd only had about 10 touches to three-quarter time, very well shut down by Jack Steele, but uh, had a big last quarter. Pretty hard to sit on a guy of that stature for, uh, well, metaphorically and literally, for four quarters. Um, Good win this for the Saints, So I thought, fine. He all set up in that first quarter with uh, 4-3 to 1-1. And after that, they really held Cartman Bay. In fact, they dominated the second quarter as well, 30 points up at halftime. The Blues had their moments in the second half, uh, won the second half, in fact, six goals to four. But uh, you never felt that they were quite going to get there. In the end, a pretty good win to the Saints. I'm really liking their outside run. I think uh, we spoke about this on Footyology final. So, all their recruits are having a major impact on how they play their footy. Um, They're dangerous and reasonably accurate up forward, which has made a big difference. And uh, the depth, I'm impressed with their depth too. I mean, uh, I know you're a rap for Josh Battle. Um, he was particularly impressive playing up forward. Had he been able to kick a bit straighter, he would have made a far bigger impression on the result than he did. But uh, Jack Steele has become a, a wonderful midfielder for them. And I think the introduction of some of those senior guys, uh, as well as helping the skill level, which I think has been a bit of an Achilles heel for them, it's really taken a bit of heat off the likes of uh, Seb Ross and, even a guy like Jack Billings. I mean, just the midfield talents and on-ball talents now are spread more evenly and it's harder for opponents to um, shut them all down. So, you know, they've got a few more strings to their bow now. The Saints, uh, they're an exciting side to watch when they're on the go. Um, I'm really enjoying watching their emergence, probably not as much as you, given you have a vested interest. But uh, I think this is another good win for them against a side that really... Had a decent head of steam up after a couple of good wins in a row. So well done, St Kilda. And uh, look, I mean, had they not dropped that first game to North Melbourne, that'd be in a, a really, really good position. As it is, they're still comfortably in the eight. So um, not looking too bad at all. And certainly ready to launch a serious assault on their first finals campaign since 2011. How do you see
1: the go? Interesting you mentioned Billings benefiting from better players around him. You know, Billings has kicked six straight this year and one of his failings had been, despite being a beautiful field kick, not being a great converter in front of goal, the goal he kicked on Thursday night happened at the point in time when Carlton were playing their best football and Hudson killed her under siege. The ball went forward and Billings was uh, picked out and uh, led and took a mark. Uh, Not an easy shot. 45 out, you know, the 55 degree angle. Just the sort of kick. He would tug or, or um, kick narrow in previous years. The umpire, had he been wearing the old hat, would have had it hat you know, over the top off. And that, I think, shows a bit of the development. Uh, the recruits have been good, but even more... Uh, that St. Kilda would have expected something from them. What has been an, a bonus and could have even uh, more potential is the emergence of Patton, Caulfield and Long off the half-back line as really um, attacking but sturdy defenders. So Gilda tried a lot of players in that position in the last few years. You need to get that right. Just one comment about Carlton, if I may, quickly. They bring Zach Fisher in next week. And I've looked at the numbers and I've looked at football carefully this year and last year. And I believe... uh, in all honesty, that next week, they won't say he's dropped. Sam Walsh will have to make way. He is simply not performing, the rising star. His numbers, possession-wise, way down. He's kicked one behind for the entire year, only seven tackles in five games. His kicking efficiency is 59.8, Rowan, the worst of all Mm. midfielders at Carlton, and incredibly, the worst of all midfielders in the competition. He's really
0: struggling terribly. Well, could it be, a? you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the classic old second-year boys. Look, I don't think he's got any
1: great strings to his bow other than, at the moment, amassing possessions. And the shorter quarters are making that hard for a good, fit young man like Sam Walsh. Uh, One of the strengths of uh, uh, a, a player like Sam Walsh who can get possessions is working his way through the game with his great fitness. I think the worst sign for Walsh was when Nick Caulfield walked through one of his tackles in the second quarter to set up a Jade Gresham goal. I think the video review will not, will not shine kindly on Sam, and you might see him outmanaged for one or two weeks.
0: Well, that that would be an interesting move, given how pivotal he was to them last year. Nevertheless, a good 18-point victory to the Saints in the end. So that was Thursday evening. Let's talk about Friday evening. Well, this was a bit of a turn-up. I've got to say, one I was pretty happy about, along with a lot of other surprised Bomber fans. Essendon, 15-point victors over a disappointing Collingwood. Ten goals, three. Good accuracy again for the Dons. 63, defeating the Pies. 7-6-48. Uh, amazing uh, twists and turns in this game. Collingwood came out, kicked the first three goals in a bit over 10 minutes. Absolutely dominated possession. At one stage, disposals were 47-9. Essendon had nine disposals after about uh, seven or eight minutes of footy. Unbelievable. And you thought, how far the pies? Then, almost out of nowhere, Essendon woke up. They started really applying some fierce defensive pressure, particularly in their forward 50, which is something they've been working hard on. They were able to lock the ball inside. They got great value up forward uh, from Jake Stringer. And uh, unfortunately, uh, there's the big sort of uh, downer for the dons. He has a syndesmosis injury. That is certainly the uh, this year's most fashionable injury. And it looks like could be out for three months. That would be a crushing blow to them given not only his goal kicking prowess, but he also got some really big centre clearances for the Dons as well. I didn't read the goal kickers actually. Stringer three, McDonald Tipperwoody two for the Pies, Stevenson three. They're only multiple. So after Collingwood's first three goals, Essenham promptly kicked the next eight to rack up a very handy lead indeed, and then stopped as if shot at the start of the last quarter. The Pies came again. A very controversial free kick, which we talked about and canned appropriately. uh, The dangerous tackle, allegedly, by Will Snelling on uh, Callum Brown. The Pies got back within three points after a goal to uh, Brodie Meyercheck, but the Dons found something just in those crucial last five or so minutes Goal to Jacob Townsend, who played a really handy pressure forward role. And then Dylan Shield, arguably best on ground. He was very consistent all night. Uh, A a goal square snap after a really good tackle laid by Ruckman, Andrew Phillips, who, in my view, was the other big plus out of this game for the Bombers. So um, they really showed some welcome resolve. I thought Andy McGrath was particularly good for them. Uh, Jordan Ridley, really impressive in that defence. Smart young player. Kyle Hooker, pretty good in the back line as well. For the Pies, Adam Trelaw coming back in, um, did a pretty good job. Braden Maynard played a bit through midfield and won plenty of the ball. Uh, Dacos had his moments early. Stevenson did what he seems to always do now, kick the first couple of goals of the game and then disappear for a, a couple of quarters, bobbed up and kick one more in the last. But uh, no doubt, finding the Pies will be disappointed. Uh, probably rubbed a bit of salt into the wound insofar as not having steel side-bottom services. Could have potentially made the difference given Essendon were missing a couple of important midfielders in Heppel and Merritt. Um, and so in the end, Essendon uh, victors, their third victory of the season. Of course, they've only played the four games as opposed to everyone else's five. But a 3-1 record... Means they're travelling okay and probably uh, without sort of uh, sourcing it up too much. Fair to say that was one of their better wins of the last couple of years. Okay. How do you see?
1: You know, my brain is telling me that my eyes must have been playing tricks on me on Friday night. So I'm going to have to check again. Are you telling me Essendon beat Collingwood after being three goals they to nothing down and no help and no did. merit? Correct. Oh, so I'm assuming Zaharakis finally turned the corner and had a swagger possessions?
0: Don't be silly, finey. He had about three, I think.
1: Uh, Fantasia came back in. Was he the one to light the spark? Did nothing. Laverde, he could maybe have... Must have been his
0: night. Barely saw him.
1: Okay. Um, so, you know, you had the usual suspects not doing a heck of a lot. Um, that only leaves Snelling and Ham. And they couldn't
0: have done it, could they? They were terrific, both of them. I'm glad you mentioned them. Young Snelling board in and under for four full quarters. And Braden Ham really gave some some, uh, badly needed runs, some real line-breaking efforts, backed himself to run and carry, did it really well. And uh, I think both of them should hold their spots for next week. But that midfield
1: was coming up against Adams, Pendlebury, the return of Trelaw, um, uh, any number of other of their midfielders that they run through there, like Phillips, who's been getting a lot of the ball. Uh, so how did I can't understand how Essendon could have done it unless they got down lower and harder on a greasy night and were more desperate. And that is the only way they could have beaten Collingwood. I think that's one of the great Essendon wins. Um, how about the Jungle Drums beating Ree Cox? Collingwood supporters are turning on him in droves. So much so that the cardboard cutouts were groaning every time he went for the ball. <laughs> in fact, uh, yeah. in fact, rather unkindly, uh, a few Collingwood supporters are furious with Buckley for not bringing on uh, a couple of the cardboard cutouts and, instead of Cox.
0: Yeah, well, I think uh, just quickly, as well as selection, I think, um, you know, there's a few suggestions. Oh, the Pies fundamentals are always pretty sound, i.e. they always win plenty of the ball. But that high possession game certainly wasn't suited to those conditions, as you pointed out. But I also reckon when sides are able to slow down their ball movement, that really leaves them in trouble because I don't think their key forward targets are good enough to be plucking contested grabs all night. Means the disposal into those medium-sized forwards needs to be clean and quick, and when sides are able to slow them down, it invariably isn't, and that really costs them. And I thought, you know, they won more of the footy, they won more of the clearances, they won more contested ball, but their use just wasn't nearly as efficient as Essendon's. I'll I'll give you an um, idea.
1: I'll give you an idea how unkind Collingwood supporters can be to Cox. This is true after the game. I actually, uh, on the way home, after we did our footy biology final siren, dropped into a Collingwood mate's place of mine just on the way home. I knew he'd still be up. And I was sort of, you know, trying to appease and, and be, you know, somewhat conciliatory. And I said, look, those conditions didn't suit Cox. And he said, you're 100% right. And I said, yeah, yeah, it was tough at the G for Cox. For Cox. And he says, it was tough for the G because they were playing football. He reckons they're the conditions that Cox doesn't uh, necessarily excel in, football games.
0: Yeah, no, there's no doubt there's plenty of impatience. He certainly hasn't been able to recreate that memorable preliminary final performance, so yeah. increasingly you're wondering if that was a cameo. Um, so a bit of, uh, bit of think music for the Pies and, of course, other issues for them yes. uh, and with they various play, off-field stuff.
1: They play Hawthorne next week without now to side bottom and how. It's yep. actually next week yep. that he misses, and that oh, can they win without those talented sort of um, match winners?
0: Well, the Hawks are just going themselves, but uh yeah, it'll be uh certainly not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. All right, Good there's call. enough on that game. Thursday and Friday night done with. Let's talk about Saturday. Rightio, up to Metricon Stadium for the first of the Saturday games. it was West Coast taking on Sydney. Return to those mid-2000 epics. Uh, This one wasn't nearly as close as those ones invariably were, though. And West Coast turned their form around, 11-11, 77, 34-point victors over Sydney, 6-7, 43. And we have talked a bit about the Swans' forward line issues, and they were really starkly demonstrated in this game. The Swans, in fact, kicked three of the first four goals of the game after that, it was 10 goals to three for the rest of the match. Sydney scoring only one goal in each of the second, third and fourth quarters. Like I said, they dominated probably the first 15 minutes, the Swans. Um, but West Coast uh, just found their old selves and their disposal was precise. Uh, they won plenty of clearances and contested ball, which has always been a bit of an Achilles heel. And they had a couple of real live wires up forward Um, and not the ones you might uh, obviously expect. In terms of the goal kickers, Allen, three. He was one of them. He and Jake Waterman, really good. Waterman kicked two, five between them. Two goals to Cripps, two to Darling. Uh, Only multiple for Sydney was young Hayden McLean with two goals. Yeah, I, I thought the Eagles had plenty of targets up forward. Oscar Allen really worked hard. Jake Waterman kicked a couple importantly in the first term when they were struggling to stay in the contest, including one after the siren after a shocking turnover and totally unnecessary turnover from Sydney when they still had a decent lead on the board. And uh, from quarter time onwards, um, the Eagles basically dominated play. Nick Natanui, outstanding in the ruck. Uh, and admittedly, it probably helps only coming up against alia alia and Hayden McLean, but um, he was absolutely dominant, winning plenty of clearances, hit house to advantage with something like 12-0, I think, absolutely dominant. And his uh, midfielders rubble to feed off that, despite the fact that they lost Luke Shuey um, before or just on quarter time with a hamstring injury, and he's going to be missing a few. But I guess good in a way, it underlined that uh, they can actually survive without him. I thought Dom Sheed was pretty good. Elliot Yo had a really good game. He's uh, a beautiful kick of the footy and his long kicking really works to those tall forwards advantage. Brad Shepherd always solid in defence. Sydney, it was just a perfect uh, example to me, finding of what their shortcomings are. They they don't have decent tall forwards. Buddy's out, Sam Reid's out. They were entrusting, or Callum Sinclair was out injured too. They're entrusting taking a grab basically to McLean. Uh, Tom Papley's been heroic for them so far, but uh, it, you can see it taking a toll on him, and he was subdued very effectively, and that just left them with few options. And in midfield, Josh Kennedy pretty good for him. Luke Parker not bad for him in his 200th game. Jake Lloyd winning plenty of the ball as per usual. Beyond that, not enough contributors. And uh, this is about where Sydney are at, unfortunately. They just can't afford injuries to key players. And unfortunately, at the moment, they have too many of them. The Eagles, however, uh, this was a huge win for them. Their season might have been just about gone had they dropped this one as well. But they're uh, back on the board with a second win. Soon they're going to be playing, uh, what, six or seven games or whatever it is in their home city. So a real chance to uh, get very much back in the ball game for them. I thought they were pretty impressive, and I thought in their better moments in this game, they showed just why they can still be a real factor this season.
1: you got a feel for the Sydney Swans. I, I saw Longmire starting to move the magnets around the board and Aaliyah up forward, Aaliyah in the ruck, uh, Kennedy maybe a little spell up forward, players Hayward forward, Hayward back, Mills here, Heaney there. And I, I could hear the voice of the late Alan Jeans just a ghost sort of just entering the box there at, at Metricon. And you know what he said to, would have said to John Longmire? You know what, uh, son? they sausages. Correct. You know what, son? You can fry them, grill them or curry them. But in the end, ooh, they're just sausages. And I think at the moment, Sydney, are just sausages, which meant that West Coast, West Coast, even an out-of-sorts West Coast, uh, were able to find their better selves against Sydney. I was wondering, though, the way West Coast started, they're lucky they were playing Sydney, Rowan. It took yeah. them a while. Cripps finally got a couple of goals. Yo worked his way into yeah. the game beautifully. I just wonder if they were playing a better team, whether or not all those doubts could have crept back in, because I don't think they were great early. At some times, Nick he Nick had no opponent in the ruck. You know what that's like f- Sydney doing? That's like starting a boxing bout by saying to your opponent, "You can have one free hit, and then we'll take it from there." It's stupid. And the last comment we do have to mention that great mark by Tom Barass. And I want to ask oh, you, yes. I want to ask you a question, Rocco. Yeah, that is a rare example of a big, burly bloke taking a specky. Yeah, we know that there's been great aerialists in the history of football, but most, most of them are athletic and lithe. Who are the great big men that have flown in your time watching <laughs> footy? Like big men,
0: uh, because you know Dawson
1: for Sydney started the game six foot two. He's now listed as five eleven.
0: <laughs> he's not that big. Um, he's big. He's a
1: big boy to get up like that.
0: I'm trying who's the heaviest bloke to take a hanger? Well, Gary I bought had plenty of size. Yeah, on but him. that ma- a...
1: muscular. Ba- I I saw Kevin Neal take quite a few. Oh, yeah. 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 He reminded and and Ray Biff and I saw take a couple.
0: Yeah. And probably, yeah, no, fair he- call. I didn't
1: see him, but I think Grenville Dietrich probably yeah. <laughs> broke a few backs on landing as well.
0: I was going to mention Grenville Dietrich just yeah. for our Adelaide fraternity, of course. Uh, it was in North Adelaide, I think he played for. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I think he did. All right. So, uh, good wind to the Eagles back in the ball game. you'd think. All right, that was the first game on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Let's head on down the highway to the Cattery for the Twilight game. Well, this was going to be a good test for Gold Coast and uh, they didn't emerge from it with too much dishonour, I think it's fair to say. Didn't get the points though. Geelong pulling away in the finish to run out winners by 37 points. 13 goals, 11-89, defeating Gold Coast held scoreless in the final term, 8-4-52. For the Cats, three to Hawkins, two to Parfitt. They're only multiples, and uh, they had uh, nine individual goal kickers. For the Suns, uh, Ben King, pretty impressive, particularly early with three goals. Sam Day had a bit of a purple patch. He kicked two. And Lockie Wellop managed two for them, Sexton, their only other goal kicker. Of course, could not have got off to a worse start finding with the loss of a key player. Give us your take on this game.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, don't worry about Gold Coast um, having the wind and stuffing knocked out of them with the injury, the dislocated shoulder to Matt Rowell. I think all footy fans, I think football turned around and said, you're kidding. That That's what the footy gods give us after the... The season from hell that we're having. That's our reward that, that one of the embraced by all supporters, one of the real reasons to find out what happened on the weekend does, does his shoulder again, you know, just going for the ball like a bull. He tried to put his own shoulder back in and get back out on the ground. You know, if, if these were pre pre, if these were middle ages, I would certainly gift him a, a wife and two, two cows and you know, a flock of sheep. He is one great kid. This game was supposed to be a great celebration for our country cousins. The 300th game for Selwood, 350th for Abbott. They planned bigger celebrations than when they got electricity put on Geelong, which of course was four years ago. This was supposed to be, who would have thought it would be played in front of no fans and they were going to serve up the Gold Coast as some sort of sacrificial offering to be slaughtered like, um, you know, uh, spifflicated. But that's not the Gold Coast they got because Gold Coast hit the front in the third quarter. And without Raoul, you know what? That was a plucky effort. Yes, the damn walls did break. Hawkins had his best game for the season. And Geelong, when they start getting a bit of mojo, are hard to deny even without a crowd down in 3MHBA. But you hit the nail on the head, Rowan. That is not any... In no ways or means should anybody think that this is a backward step for Gold Coast, they'll get back to Metricon because there's no more footy in Victoria for them and be a very tough nut to crack.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think there would have been too many people outside Gold Coast who would have thought when the Cats were, you know, four goals to one at a quarter time, oh, geez, it's all, you know, all the good stuff's going to come undone here. They're going to get absolutely flogged. And, and yet, yeah, early in the third term, they were what a goal and a half up, so... Yeah. Um, there's certainly a lot more resilience about this version of the Suns, isn't there? And it's yeah, you it's bet. great to see. And, and you know, we
1: a lot of people have really taken a shine to Cam Zerha of North Melbourne. <laughs> Gold Coast have got their own oh. Zer, Zerha and Nick Holman.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you
1: know, a, a real a real sort of balls out gutsy forward pocket that that hits up hard and puts his body on the line.
0: A lot of uh, focus on, obviously, on, on Raoul and uh, Noah Anderson, who I thought was pretty handy as well, and Ben King. But they're getting steady improvement from some of the guys that have been there a couple of years now too. Like I mean, Jack Bowes, um, fantastic little shimmy from him
1: yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: in the third term to set up Sam Day for a mark. You know, Tuke Miller plays very consistent footy now, so... And the the pickup of a guy like Hugh Greenwood, I think, who's been a great pickup for them. So, you know, you know, sometimes their effort would wane pretty clearly uh, as they start falling behind on the scoreboard. I think that's far less likely to happen with them now. We should say a quick word, finally about the milestone men because two of the most important players yep. in football's modern era are three hundred up for Joel Selwood and three hundred and fifty. For the magnificent little master G Ablett. and actually, I'll let you award them just before we do those. Some really um, sad news today that uh, Gary Ablett's young son has a uh, degenerative medical condition, um, which uh, is apparently quite serious. And uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't actually hear that. have. Yeah, it's, oh, it's up on the news sites as we speak. Oh, so um, that's that's sad it, news. He's got his own battles at the moment. Mm. So, all all the best to the Ablett clan on that. But uh, we're talking about two of the absolute greats of the you, modern you era, bet. aren't you we? Bet.
1: Um, and I have been opponents to point out, uh, again, I heard a radio report of these two wonderful players who played 300 350 games for Geelong. And again, I have to say that Gary Ablett did not pay 350 games for Geelong. He played 116 and won a Brownlow with Gold Coast some mm. some obliterated history for the poor coasters or the sons okay I'll, I'll give you my quick snapshot of both men at their best for yep. gary ablett it, it is it is the cleanest of hands in the heaviest of traffic untackleable unshakable and un unrelenting in his belief that not only will he escape the clutches of the opposition but he can get on a worse angle be in a worse position and kick a goal or hit a target because he is football genius. Um, you know what? Maccabi Divas had five or six falls to race and they all can't go a yard. And likewise, black caviar. There's no guarantee in genetics that you're going to be great. But this has been one of the most amazing sporting stories, senior to junior. So that's him. And for me, Joel Selwood is so best summed up by some of the bone-crunching punishment he has taken in finals and big games where there is no time to go off, feel sorry for yourself, get on your haunches, or miss the next stoppage. And I reckon he's, he's had his teeth rattled. I can see his eyes rolling in the back of his head and like no other player I've ever seen, he mm-hmm. does not go to ground. You know, he's like at 500 fights and never been knocked out. He is a true warrior.
0: Yep, Warrior, the perfect description of uh, Jay Selwood. No question about that. All right, Uh, the Cats emerging victorious in the end. Two games on Saturday evening. Let's talk about them. Western Bulldogs taking on North Melbourne under the roof at Marvel Stadium. And it was an emphatic victory to the Western Bulldogs. 13 goals, 9 87, 49 point victors over north, 5 8 38. Uh, a very welcome return to form from big name recruit Josh Bruce. He was outstanding for the Doggies with six goals two to Mitch Wallace and two to Josh Shackey for the Ruse, uh, two to Goldstein, two to Taylor. And that was four of their pretty miserable tally of five goals. Uh, on the injury front, a bit of a toll in this game. A um, couple of concussions for the doggies. Bailey Smith, East Malvern's finest. Mullet. Boy, did that get um, shaken up to the extreme. A big hit from Sean Attlee. Uh Poor old Bailey just didn't see him coming. So, concussion for him. Jacob Vandermeer also concussed. Taron Thomas concussed that, for did North. Did you say Bath Jacob
1: day. Vandermeer?
0: Isn't it Jacob? It's, I think it's a Lameth. It's a very strange first Oh, is it? Lameth. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't know where I got Jacob from. Maybe I've been reading the Bible or something.
1: But it is from the Bible. It's a terrible name, Lameth. Thou arteth the Lameth. It's a really odd name. I I hope I'm pronouncing it right.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to get on with it. Good. Um, Taron Thomas hit his head going for a huge grab. He was concussed. And uh, probably the most significant for the Roos, they've really missed Ben Cunnington, tried to rush him back with a back injury. And, um, oh dear, uh, Cunnington with a back injury. So um, pretty big toll for the Roos, whose sparkling start to the season has suddenly turned sour indeed. Uh, On the other side of the coin, finey, Bulldogs, very, very impressive.
1: You can't list Cunnington as getting injured. You know, that's like saying that's like saying um uh Josh Bruce grew a mustache during the game no he didn't he had it before he, the game started <laughs> nothing happened to cunnington on the night that didn't happen before and to his credit Reece Shaw in the press conference finally admitted yeah I think I might have made a mistake in picking him because I showed footage mm. of him before the game uh I'll say this much if his shoelaces were undone I guarantee you he wouldn't have done them up uh, Tarrant Thomas had the strangest concussion in football history. He went off the ground, went down the race, came back on with his tracksuit top on, and for the rest of the evening was jovially laughing and talking to Ben Cunnington and others on the bench to the point, point. this is true, Ben Cunnington had to get up and sit elsewhere because Tarrant Thomas wouldn't shut up during his concussion stay. And this, the Bulldogs. This, to me, was a hugely relevant game that I think we can look back at when we get in the finals and the Bulldogs stake a claim for premiership number three, I think they can, as the night things became apparent. We both were bullish about the Bullies' start of the season and agreed on a few things, as most people did. One, the importance of adding Keith and Bruce. And not till this week has that paid dividends. It won't pay such healthy dividends every week, but at least... The confidence is there in the player. His teammates needed to know what Bruce could do. Number two, we also marked improvement for Tom English as a place that the side would improve. First two games Tim English, English, sorry. Always get that wrong. First two games, Tim English poor, Bulldog's second bottom and season in jeopardy. Boy has he hit his straps. He was Goldstein was good, but English was better. And in the second half showed what wonderful skill he has. Reminds me of Scotty Wynd, who never hit a pack to spoil or or, or fall over. Every time Wynd went for the ball, it was to mark it. English the same. But the best news for the doggies is that Easton Wood, the former captain, for the first time since 2016, looked unhindered. He was flying, marking, spoiling, with the able assistance of the wonderful Crozier and the improving Keith, That back line, since those first two weeks, has been the most miserly in the competition. That's great news. Bontempelli well held, no Hunter, no Dunkley, no Norton, no problems. This team is going to make a real impression for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, well, they've got great run, haven't they? I mean, I'm just looking at the disposal count here, and they ended up with... uh... 65 or so more uh, disposals than the Roos. Most of them handballs. They use handballs so creatively. Yep, yep. Like which they
1: did in 2016, right?
0: That's exactly what I was about to say. So uh, doing that very well. The spread of midfielders is, is good. You know, we're seeing good game from Tom Liberatore. Riley uh, West. Know, alongside, uh, yep, alongside the usual suspects. Yeah. So, um, and just a final and perhaps slightly flippant word on Easton Wood, I was watching him come off the ground and I don't know why I hadn't noticed this before, but I, there was an un, uncanny resemblance between Easton Wood and Tony Hadley, the lead singer of English new wave band Spandau Ballet. Uh, and I just could picture Easton sitting in front of a fireplace with a polo neck sweater crooning uh, True off that um massively repulsive 1983 album uh, called Gold, I think. Or was it called True? Rowan, when I write the
1: satirical piece on you for the footyology website, there'll there'll be this sentence in it. Rowan noted that a certain league footballer bore a striking resemblance to, insert name of musical or porno star. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, well, I was
0: going to draw your—I was going to draw your attention to the fact before that you mentioned Jamie Cripps, yeah, and I, I failed to mention his resemblance to former adult film star Tom Byron.
1: Is there are there any adult film stars that were also members of bands that you know? Because I'm sure that those people are imprinted on your mind even more so than <laughs> this catalogue of musos or stick movie stars.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, uh, possibly. It's a, it is a strange uh, predilection of mine, Finding, yeah. but we both have strange quirks in our makeup, of the get, into,
1: get back into some presses and put those questions to some coaches.
0: Uh, I will. I'll, I'm sure they'd appreciate yeah, that. I'm sure they uh, all right. Good win to the uh, doggies. Let's head now to the Gabba and what was arguably, not arguably, it was the game of the round. First playing, third. <laughs> Well, those young Lions starting to look ominous again. Um, certainly no hangover from their tremendous season last year. They all guns blazing at the moment. They're just playing better football by the week. And uh, they ended up with a very convincing 37 point win over the previously undefeated Port Adelaide. 12 goals, 13, 85. Brisbane, 6, 12, 48. The power. Uh, Two goals to Cam Rayner, two to Lincoln McCarthy, singles the rest. And uh, the only multiple for Port Adelaide was our man, Zach Butters' finding. Everyone knew him, but unfortunately not enough people knew other Port players because there were a few that were conspicuously quiet on the evening. They'll be disappointed. Really, a a win set up in that second term when the Lions kicked 6-5. To just one-one by the power, and it was always going to be tough for them thereafter. And all over, basically at three-quarter time when they led by seven goals, two goals to one in the final term. Really, uh, just seeing our time there. It was a great win by Lions. Finey. tell us all about it. I watched the Western
1: Bulldogs North game and then straight away onto watching the IQ'd full version of the other game. And at the end of the first game, I was you know thinking Western Bulldogs. Blah, blah. Ten minutes before half time, it was like, Western who? What, what's the name of that team? Because this was <laughs> a step above even that. And I started thinking that, of course, Brisbane Lions, born from the ashes, in a way, of the Fitzroy Football Club, that when I followed footy and all my years of loving follow, following footy, there were never great or important games between Fitzroy and Footscray. They were like the elevators, the glass elevators in a shopping centre. They never stopped on the same floor. But these two teams, th- there was never an important Fitzroy Footscray game, but I think there might be a version of that later this year. You know what's wonderful about Brisbane? Their midfield is has has starring acts. Zorko didn't play. Locking Neal is fantastic, but when they ask others to take a turn through the midfield, and they all take turns, of course Berry, then the other Berry, uh, Hugh McLuggage, Mitch Robinson, when he. Yeah, they're all different, you know. McLuggage will have you. Don't forget,
0: uh, don't forget Jared Lawrence.
1: Of course, I'm saying the reject, the reject from the worst club in the AFL now that was rejected at the time by the worst club in the AFL is going to be a star in the best club. Work that one out. So, you know, it's funny. The same players that were flat-footed by McLuggage two minutes later were getting steamrolled by Mitch Robinson. It was like. This is this is a they were getting punished so many different ways and I'm talking good footballers. I'm talking um a bemused and bewildered and looking like he was in treacle pal pepper or Ollie Wines. Uh, the, this was a very different experience for Port, and to their credit, they did fight the game out, but it was a complete consolation to the understanding of what the AFL 17 teams have to face, especially if they stay up at the Gabba. Because they're not going to drop any games there, mate. They will not. There's more to them. There's more to come. Hipwood's, I know, I I sort of think Hipwood's a a bit of a gay deceiver, using an old term. But there's so little pressure on him now to do it all on his own, he's starting to be more comfortable in that role. Um, Cam Rayner, the only thing that's kept him off the front page has been his goal kicking. Well, that's about to change, mate. He's not going to miss him forever. He's a star. The
0: kid's an absolute star. Best defender. You know in the, what the comp- best,
1: th- Harris Andrews. Harris Andrews. It's, it's you know best. what the best?
0: The best thing about the Lions for me is the white the brand of football they play. I mean, we you know we've spent so much time recently, bemoaning the standard of the game in this treacle slow footy that's possession footy that yes. so many sides play. Yes, Rowan. Well, Brisbane still affects the basic essentials, but they're prepared to run and they're prepared to take a risk and keep the ball moving and they're bloody good to watch. And it's, jeez, it's, you notice it even more because there's so many ordinary-looking games now. I, I can't remember the last time I saw Brisbane play in an unattractive game. They are fantastic to watch.
1: Forward of centre, those players that play for them are razor-sharp, quick and intelligent. Lincoln McCarthy now playing properly. Bucks better football. These berries are fantastic. And and the thing is, if defences try to do what they do against other teams—trip the ball around, steady it up, hold it up, trip it around—they're going to look like like the three Stooges. You know, they're going to look like Curly and Larry after Moe has had a day out on them. You know, that 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 let's. What happened? What? A, You can't muck around against that team. They're too quick, they're too confident, and they're too good. I love watching them.
0: All right, I'm going to throw this one at you quickly. I did this last year, and we had a bit of fun with it. Can Brisbane win the premiership?
1: Absolutely. They learnt from last year, and they might not have to come to Victoria anyhow. It looks as though all this hubbub about hubs will play into their hands, and I don't even care about that. There's another thing about them, you know. Stefan Martin is starting to um, grind down a bit through injury. Yeah. You know, McInerney's a bloody good ruckman. He's only seven yep. foot
0: forty three.
1: He, he's mm. just a quite a good ruckman to have floating around.
0: No, well, the the I, I think absolutely they can win it, and the um, if they're ever going to win it this is a year, isn't it? I mean, there's so much going in their favour with the COVID situation. So um, this is their time to shine.
1: I can picture on grand final day, they win, all their stars are being faded by the media, but you know the player that the fans and the teammates will love the most will be Ryan Lester, who persisted and persisted and couldn't make lesser teams, but now he's a regular in this brilliant team. And they're the players, actually, that make for premiership sides.
0: Uh, Good call. Good call indeed. Very impressive, Chris Fagan's team, and uh, what a great coach he is turning out to be. All right, six games down. Let's uh, turn our attention to Sunday. Let's head off to church very quickly, and then we'll watch three games of footy. Well, the battle of the top of the ladder in Queensland on Saturday evening, followed by the battle of the bottom of the ladder in Queensland on Sunday afternoon, uh, best thing about this, Sir Adelaide and Fremantle, someone had to win. Well, no, they could have had a draw, but most likely someone had to win. In the end, probably predictably, that was Fremantle by 20 points. Eight goals, six, 54, defeating Adelaide. Four goals, 10, 34. And uh, it was a it was struggle this game. Certainly never reached any great heights, perhaps not surprisingly, 2 each to Rory Lobb, Michael Walters and Darcy Tucker for the victors. And uh, for the Crows, all singles, as you might expect, with four goals. Um, uh, Andrew Brayshaw, terrific for the Dockers. Really good game from him. David Mundy, the old veteran, found something and was really good. Tucker was good. James H., he's been a good pickup for the Dockers. He's playing some decent footy. Adam Chera, too. And both Brayshaw and Chera have had a bit of heat put on them lately about um, perhaps needing to get a wriggle on. Well, they were both pretty good in this game. Uh, Geez, Adelaide, some of their, well, we seem to say it every week now, but uh, they really struggled for input even from their most senior men. Um, The thing that struck me most about this game, I don't think I've ever seen a quarter of footy with as many turnovers in it as the first quarter of this game. They just kept kicking it to each other. Adelaide player, get it, kick it to a Frio bloke. He'd kick it back to an Adelaide bloke. He'd kick it back to a Freo bloke. It was comical. Um, in the end, Freo just had a bit more system, bit more class. And Adelaide did come, make a, a bit of a play at it in the third quarter with three goals to one. But the Dockers able to steady when it mattered with another three in the final term. No doubt these two sides aren't going to be troubling too many teams throughout the year, I think it's fair to say. Although I think Fremantle did earn this win. They had some pretty narrow defeats before today. And I think this was a victory they thoroughly earned. For Adelaide, well, uh, geez, uh, this is the lowest ebb in that proud club's history. No question. Bottom of the ladder, no wins after five games. And uh, and I'll be talking about this a little bit later. Another bombshell today in the release of Sam McClure's comprehensive record, a bit, a report about that ill-fated preseason camp—amazing stuff revealed in that. It was horrible, Finny. What do you uh, what do you make of this game? Yeah, you know, I sat
1: down and I was watching the game, and my missus came in and said, "Oh, who's playing?" And I said, "The Ball Butchers versus the Dig Bats." And I swear, she said, "Are there two new teams in the AFL?" I don't know whether that means she knows nothing about football or those names suited those two teams. This was the game that was being beamed live into primetime USA on their major sporting network. I can see Americans like walking around and go, hey, I just can't get this game. So, what are the rules? Okay, one team goes, tries to kick the ball through the big posts, and the other team tries to kick it either side of the big posts. Uh, uh, One team kicks the ball and catches it, the other team kicks the ball and goes for it with one hand and doesn't catch it. Except that team, when they get the ball, they wait to give it to one of their teammates so he gets absolutely ironed out and flattened by the opponents. Oh, and one of the teams has to have a player that when they kick the ball in the air, he doesn't go for it all and blames the sun. I think they call him Tex, but I'm pretty sure he's not from Texas. Now, I apologize to America for very little I think they're, they're the makers of their own current situation, but we have to send some sort of apology, national apology for that game. How could that be? Today, it's the game, the O must go. Now, in boxing, that means the for undefe- In football, that's a bad thing. And this was not a good game. The high hang much... on, wait,
0: wait, wait, hang on. Are you saying it was the O must go game, not judgment day? No, this was the O
1: must go but as you said it didn't have to go it could have been a draw or the mercy rule could have been invoked that first quarter was atrocious finally adelaide kicked a goal on the siren just before half time at which point matthew nix spared himself a smile i'm thinking mate if that makes you happy you're going to have you'll you will actually survive your marriage you, you will live you'll you'll be married for 50 years if you can put up with that shit now I know last week you said Taylor Walker was okay. He was back to Taylor. Uh, he was. The Crouchers don't use the ball properly. Sloan's injured. The, the, what's happened to Smith and Rory McGorry off the Laird off the halfback flank? They just well, look this like a couple of bad, crappy old geezers.
0: This is how bad they're going. Both those players were listed among their best today. Oh, that's um, true.
1: They are two good players, Duda and Talia.
0: There was one notable moment in the final quarter where Lead uh, just couldn't make a tackle stick. And I think it was Tucker who burst out of it. He and looks really Freo old. ended up getting a goal out of it.
1: McAdam took a beautiful mark. That was good for them. From Fremantle's perspective, um, Hogan did not play well. Tabana looked disinterested, but they still won oh, the game.
0: Oh, did a couple of – I thought Taberner. – I'll tell you who impressed me for the Dockers, Um, and he's he's been a, a decent player for him for a while now, but Griffin Lowe has he was become like, a very yes, safe, safe customer Let as a me, key defender. Let's
1: finish on a positive. Griffin Lowe is a big boy, top 10 draft pick. It's taken 20 or 30 games to um, come to the tempo. He's actually a very good defender, played beautifully today. And my last word goes to if I was Matthew Nix. At one point, they showed Billy Frampton, after Griffin Logue had outmarked him and and set up a goal almost, they showed Frampton laughing and joking with Griffin Logue. You know what I would have told the runner? Go out there, grab that dickhead by the ear, bring him to me for a spanking. If my team's not having a crack, I don't need my players celebrating good play with the other
0: team. It's a joke. Yeah, no, there's it's been a bit of that. God commented on this the yeah, other no, week. I, I was, was
1: thinking of you. I said, I hope, you know, Rowan's got that dodgy pump of his. I hope he's not watching this because it'll be his heartbeat will go through the
0: roof. Well, you know what it was? Maybe word got down to Billy Frampton that uh, Dwayne, Ru- Dwayne Russell had actually gone with the Frampton comes alive comment. And he said, I cannot believe that he actually tried that one on. I mean, it's so goddamn obvious. The only thing I would ever say to
1: Griffin Logue, I seriously, is I turn around and say, Griffin, are you a relative? And I imagine he is, of Lionel Logue, who was from Perth. And you know who Lionel Logue was? I don't. He was the speech therapist from Perth in Australia. Oh yes. That was the stutter. King's speech. King's speech. And you know what I'd say to Griffin? Griffin? Are you related to L and then the siren would go, and I'd come back after quarter time. L- L- Logue.
0: Very good. All right, uh, victory to Fremantle. Let's head now to the MCG. <coughs> oh, battle of the original MCG co-tenants, the Demons and the Tigers, uh, both struggling, it's fair to say, but this was the day Richmond turned it around, albeit at some cost. In the end, 27-point victors, the Tigers, 12-7, 79, defeating Melbourne, 8-4, 52. Three goals to Tom Lynch, three goals to Kane Lambert, their chief goal kickers, three to Mitch Hannon for the Demons and two to both Milksham and Fritch. But the biggest news out of this finding, we touched on it off the top of the uh, program, serious ankle injury to Toby Nankurvis. Uh, potentially serious ankle injury to Dion Prestia, who was quite emotional sitting on the bench during that last quarter. Um, a hamstring to Trent Cochin. We know that's been an issue for him. So you think he'll, he's going to miss at least a couple, if not more. And actually a finger injury to Tom Lynch. Though I don't think that's expected to have him in doubt for next week. So uh, good win for the Tigers finally, but uh, not without paying a significant price.
1: Look, uh, they needed the win, just like West Coast, and they take the McKellar-Gaunt shield home once again.
0: Oh, very good. And uh, finally, he's talking about Craig McKellar and Graham Gaunt, was it? Correct. Graham Gaunt? yeah, Yep. yep. Both, of okay.
1: who, both of whom left their clubs only to turn up at the same ground for training the next day with the other club. So in this game, credit where credit's due, actually Melbourne had a bloody good crack. And it highlighted the fact that that they don't have a forward line. It's a, it's a pity because you cannot deny their endeavour or or their daring do. They played on much more. They took on the game through the centre. Christian Petrarca has arrived. The train's at the station and he is very similar and playing actually better now, only for a short period, than Patrick Cripps is. He's an absolute star, Petrarca. Almost untackleable, ambitious and... Powerful, creative. Well done him, but they kick the ball forward. Fritsch is a good target, but he, he he's not a great kick. He's okay. He's good for two or three goals. Kaziah Pickett's exciting, but normally without the ball, he just does things but leaves it behind. Tom McDonald is a makeshift forward has been there. He's like a he's like a squatter that comes to your house and, and says, "I'm here for two days." And a year and a half later. You're going. You're getting a lawyer to try and pitchfork him out. He should not be in a for. He's not a real forward, really. And some of the other hunt very disappointing. Hannon good late. Uh, Tomlinson yes, finally. Uh, the world will find out what I've known all the time. He's not a wingman's asshole. I'm sorry for swearing, but he's not a wingman. He's not a great player, but he's certainly not a wingman. Langdon is Langdon's okay. Richmond on the well, other,
0: he's not. He's just not. Where, where do we reckon the Tigers are at? Because oh, I reckon this time last year, had they lost three players of that calibre, we yeah. would have been saying, look, you know, they'll be able to struggle through. I mean, in fact, even last year, early in the season when they lost a heap of players, they struggled. And they lost, you know, two or, or three in a row. Um, they're not playing nearly as good a footy. Even today, I mean... Oh, they're gone, yes, though. They were bit-
1: R- 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 Lamoko, if those three are seriously injured, and the fact that Basha Hulli, and Shane Edwards... Both of who played well, are not available for the next month at least. They can't. They, that's way a way too far for the way they're playing. Sorry, Asprey's out injured as well. Uh, look, uh, they brought this kid Arts in. He could play, Artsy Fartsy. He was all right. Scholl. You know he's he's okay, but he's not. They're not Premiership material with those five guys out. No way. I'm sorry. No how. And Martin is well down on form.
0: Well, I'm not prepared to say that because enough people said it last year, and look how uh, off the mark that proved. But You've they just did have, hang in there. But
1: they had five more games and a normal fixture to right the ship. They're going to be yeah. a long way from home. And those, I don't think. I don't think it's it's great. It, it wasn't planned like this. But when Hawley and Edwards said they're not playing, the the their teammates would have. You know, been supportive. I wonder what they're thinking now with those three champions in doubt, and how they feel not having those two as well. That, there's no doubt it doesn't change the dynamic, but surely in your heart of hearts you're thinking, guys, uh, we can't really afford to. You know, it's like yeah, you can have the afternoon off. Oh, sorry, you can't now. One of our big clients has just come in, cancel golf, but they can't do that because yeah. it's not golf, it's babies. Now they're in trouble,
0: mate. Now, I'm not saying they're not in trouble, but I'm I'm not prepared to draw a line through them in terms of a flag. Not yet, anyway. uh, We are still, I mean, however abbreviated the season is, we are still less than a third of the way through it.
1: That's actually, I completely disagree with you. And normally we're on the same page, but they can't possibly win it if those three players are out for any substantial time. I mean, three or more weeks.
0: All right. Well, we'll uh, watch the uh, the injury reports during the week with interest. Rowan, um, I know you hate this, defense. but I have
1: to add something to this game. And it's I'll tell you what I
0: hate when you interrupt me. I know. I'm saying I
1: know you hate it, but I have to add something. We've had a problem. Well, can this... I finish
0: the sentence first?
1: About Richmond this game? Richmond-Melbourne?
0: Oh, I don't know. I've forgotten now. That's about three in a row, but okay. go on.
1: Uh, it's important. We've had a huge problem this weekend in footy, mate. And that is the new yeah. interpretation for holding the ball. It has been yeah. very poorly conveyed and an impossibility. And one umpire at the start of the third quarter or the last quarter in this Richmond game took it upon himself to impose this rule in front of both goals and and ad hoc for about 10 minutes. In other words, anybody that got the ball was free-kicked. All of a sudden, football became the football became something the players did not want a part of. You can't change the game yeah, the worst, so,
0: so fundamentally one, in one afternoon. The worst one I saw was the one against Petrarca, um, which was there was one an equivalent one against a Richmond player Correct. not long after that. That yeah, fundamentally well... changes football. <laughs> Yeah, well, they've got to stop jumping because Alastair Clarkson says so. You know, I mean, they steadfastly ignore the the rules committee for years and years and years, and then the moment a coach has a bit of a whinge, it's everything changes. Broken, so it's not te- healthy,
1: broken telephone. There is a a, a a massage to the holding the ball rule that could be made, but when you put it through hands of people that don't know a heap about footy, what you end up is with the rubbish we had today and in other games this round.
0: All right, let's finish off round five, talking about the final game. It was up in Sydney. It was GWS taking on Hawthorne. And in the end, a pretty comfortable and convincing win to the Giants. 13 goals, 5-83, 34-point victors over the Hawks, 7-7-49. Another victory finally set up in the opening term with four goals to nothing. Uh, Good spread of goal kickers. And the GWS, I mean, they've had occasionally issues with their forward structure, but it wasn't the case today. They were dominant, the big key forwards. Finlayson, four. Harry Himmelberg, four. Two to Jeremy Cameron. And uh, for the Hawks, Jack Gunston battled on pretty well with three. Now, Ben McAvoy had an interesting game because he got absolutely taken apart as a key defender early on by uh, Himmelberg. And then briefly, I think Finlayson as well, had about three or four kicked on him. They moved him into the ruck for a while and he wasn't doing that well there. And then they moved him forward. He kicked a couple in the third quarter as the Hawks staged a bit of a rally late in that third term to give themselves a sniff. However, any hope of that was rudely extinguished in the last quarter when the Hawks could manage only a behind. So, there's a a lot bigger gap between the Hawks, best and worst, than there used to be. But this was as much, I thought, about the Giants playing really well. Good players for them. Well, I mentioned the forwards. Josh Kelly, back to near his best. He was terrific. And, uh, geez, Harry has been is probably the, I'd have to be their most improved player this season. He's been terrific. Whitfield, very good for them. And Nick Haynes, as reliable as ever in defence. Uh, Hawks midfield, yeah, it's a bit of an ongoing issue. So Amira, Mitchell, Warpool, probably all among their best, but not nearly as dynamic and as efficient as their GWS midfield counterparts. Uh, Isaac Smith gave plenty of run. And uh, McAvoy, yeah, I don't know if I would have had him in the best, though, the uh, AFL website, once you can actually find the scores on the AFL website they have listed McAvoy in the best so disappointing for the Hawks uh, coming off some pretty decent form and GWS now after a good win over Collingwood and this one uh, looks like the Giants finally back in town
1: yeah they're the third team that come out of this weekend ready to pounce looking forward to the rest of the season Have you ever had a party and I know I've been to one of your parties great night you know people in different rooms outside plenty of uh, conviviality and as it, as it thins out you realize that the bloke that one of your mates brought that you don't even know is still there drinking your beer and has no intention of going and if, at some point you have got to say mate we're sort of done uh, what what's your plans because somebody's got to say that to James Frawley uh, he's he's going to hang <laughs> he's going to hang around until somebody actually tells him that you're not really doing anything you're not getting the ball you're not beating your opponent um uh, he's he's is is there a spot for him in that team, seriously?
0: Well, there might be because they don't have the experience down there they used to. Um, this is where their list is, you know, inferior to, naturally, inferior to the premiership list we were talking about five years ago.
1: Put the baby brother uh, and, from GWS down there.
0: Um, yeah, well, have got to try something with him because he's certainly not giving them what they paid for, is he? So. No. And I look, they're they're not they're not the list they were. They're not the uh they're not the side to be feared. They were. They'll have their days. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think
0: I think be. that I I still think they'll have enough of them to be a serious chance at the eight. But they did get the Giants on a very good day today. This was the Giants certainly as good a brand of footy as they've played um since last year's final series. So pretty good effort, pretty good win to the Giants and uh, they, as you said, the third of your big movers. Uh, and it uh, looks like three teams to whom round five results and victories could be fairly pivotal. Was that was the ball All there right. on? Was the
1: ball there on fire at one stage? I don't think so. But why, when Pio, P- Paul Pioppolo was running into an open goal, was he tossing it from hand to hand like it was a burning potato?
0: <laughs> made me very nervous. I don't know. I look at Paul Pioppolo these days and I think he should be play, He should be the main character in Super Mario or something. <laughs> he should wrap the overalls on.
1: Oh, dear. That's, um, a, that's
0: very racist. Oh, is it? I don't know. Everything is now. Oh, okay. Well, I, let's not go there. It's true. I can't even order a uh, Chinese restaurant anymore without offending my kids. Yeah, good. No, not now. Um, all right. There is round five done and dusted. That is wrap around for this week. Uh, we're going to... Uh, uh, ease back a bit, kick off the shoes, uh, pull up the comfy chair, uh, get Jeeves to bring our pipe and slippers, and perhaps a little cognac, British. and discuss. Uh, yeah, him, uh, and discuss some life matters. Life hacks, building a better world. All right, uh, I'm going to kick us off with life hacks, and this is becoming a bit of a weekly occurrence, obviously pretty almost impossible to escape discussions of COVID-19 and the ramifications, particularly if you're living in Melbourne. But uh, given the massive spike we've had in cases and the fact that whole uh, apartment blocks are being locked down and whole suburbs are being locked down, finally. I don't know if people in the southeast uh, are living in a bit of a bubble, but I did have to go up to Chadston shopping centre earlier this afternoon and have a prescription filled. And uh, there it was. They were just in- teeming in the place, in their thousands. And I know the other weekend 70,000 people went through Chadston. I'd be surprised if that figure was any different this weekend. Most of the people are not practising social distancing, uh, I'd say about 5%, if that, wearing masks, using hand sanitizer. I think people have just got sick of it and they've got to the stage where they're going, oh, well, you know, if I'm going to get it, I'll get it. Uh, and this was always going to be a problem, complacency after so long, uh, adhering to these new ways of living. And, uh, well, I, I sort of understand that to a degree, but, uh, geez, we're going to pay a price for that complacency, I suspect. And in by that, I mean not only numbers of cases, but this thing going on and on and on. So pretty disappointed to see that. Um, let's see what happens over the next week. But uh, the signs aren't good. I think people, their patience has run out and uh, they're just not taking it seriously enough. All right, you're first.
1: I failed as a father. I, I, I should actually get my testicles removed I should have had them before I had kids. Something happened yesterday at lunchtime. And I've just let... the I've, I've dropped the ball, mate. I'm embarrassed. Uh, I, I was charged with the responsibility of getting lunch. I said, I'm going to go down the street and get some pies, for, actually from the supermarket, and uh, chips and peas, and we'll have pies, chips and peas. And as I'm leaving, the four kids go, I, I can't, don't don't even know who said what. I'll have a buttercream chicken. I'll have a, a port... A, a burgundy beef and wine. I'll have a, a, a chicken with spring vegetables or something. I'll have a this. I'll have a that. I said, you got two choices: four and twenty, or noon meat pies. That's it, meat pies. And they all said, no, nah, we're not having lunch. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they embargo pies because they didn't. They they weren't filled with some, um, you know, art house slop that they've imagined um, imagined up. During a cooking program, I have failed. If they can't eat a four and 20, I'm a bad father.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, funny you mentioned that because my second life hack is sort of on that theme about different types of food. And I'm a bit a creature of habit. And once I discover something I like, I tend to keep eating it and eating it and eating it religiously. Uh, I did go out for dinner with some uh, mutual friends of ours finding last night and uh, a nice time was had by all. And uh, the lovely Abigail Christie Ford uh, said she had heard about this place uh, nearly next door to where we had dinner, which um, serves up an interesting pizza. And I said, well, what's on this pizza? And she said, chocolate, peanut butter and ice cream. And I thought, well, that's not your standard caprichosa, admittedly. But uh, in the interest of keeping the peace, I thought I will give it a go. Uh, Our guests were suitably also suspicious, but it came, we ate it, and it was bloody beautiful. And can I say, I know peanut butter on sweet things is a bit of an American thing. There's been a couple of times I've gone to those American-style restaurants and I've seen things like peanut butter in ice cream or whatever, and I thought, oh, God. Invariably, when I try them, I like them. Uh, it's probably why they put them on the menu because people like them. Anyway, uh, there you go. Uh, I can't even remember the place, name of the place now, unfortunately, but it's in Camberwell Road opposite the Rivoli Theatre, and they do a pretty decent pizza with peanut butter, chocolate, and ice cream. That was my uh, culinary discovery of the week. I'm going
1: to break. Oh, some- okay, I-, I
0: want to break some news to you. Wait, hang on, just quickly. I've got to say I'm talking, Colin. I made roast pork on Wednesday night, and I made the best crackling of my life. It was absolutely superb, if I don't say so myself. All right, okay, go.
1: I don't want to break the you. What you ate wasn't a pizza. What was it? Was it was either a crispy pancake or... it's it, When you put peanut butter and ice cream and chocolate on top of something, just because it's flat doesn't make it a pizza. It... Uh, I'm sure the good people of Naples that uh, gave us the pizza and named it margarita in honour of the then Queen of Italy um, didn't say, you know, the traditional toppings, well, they're always going to be mozzarella, tomato, basil, and, of course, peanut butter, ice cream and chocolate. Uh, you, you, what you've done is sacrilegious to the point of um, uh, excommunicable. In other words, if you ever go to Italy and they know that you called that a pizza, you know what's going to happen to you, mate?
0: Yeah. Do you know, do you, do, you
1: know what, had... do you know what happened to uh the the World War 2 the leader in the World War II, leader in World War 2 what was his name Garrett, um, Mussolini Mussolini you know what happened to him?
0: Yes, I do. Do you also know that I was married to an Italian for 16 years so I'm quite familiar with their well, mores I, about food.
1: Well now I know why you you were booted out of the family. Well, I know why you were booted out of the family. Because when they Boy. when they served pasta and everybody had to bring a plate, you brought spaghettios. That's my second yeah, observation. Yeah. That's my second observation that that okay, that what good. you ate was not a pizza. All
0: right, now what's your phone charge on?
1: <laughs> oh, we can finish right. this segment because I've got a beauty for the third one.
0: Okay, um, my last one is actually a football flavored one, and yes, we're what going to use What flavor is it?
1: Chocolate.
0: It's uh, it's disillusion flavor. Um, I know we talk about this all the time, but seriously, Thursday night, uh, that commentary on Thursday night on Channel 7, it, it was it was almost enough to make me turn off. I've never actually done that before, but someone, I'd love to know who the executive at Channel 7 telling B, not just BT, but Bruce, to ham it up. They were both just absolutely out of control. Bruce was like, Near screaming at anything remotely exciting, and BT was BT's now got into this thing where he just repeats words, ten three. thinking that everyone's going to latch on to it. Ten
1: three, I, I watched it and I counted it. Ten three.
0: What do you mean ten? Danger! 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 Butler, oh. butler! 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 Danger! 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 Ah, ten we three. We did it again today. And then after he said that, Bruce said, "Great call, BT. I don't know what they're on." But uh, I don't want any of it because I don't want to start spouting the same sort of drivel that those guys are going on with at the moment. Knock it off Channel 7. It's a bloody pain in the ass. All right, your last one. Well, at
1: least when the robot did it. Danger, danger. There was some sort of humour in it. Okay, have you seen the movie The Sting? I have. Well, the, a greater, truer sporting version of The Sting was uncovered by Indian police late last week. It's the best story I've ever heard. Have you heard about the fake Sri Lankan T20 League? I haven't. So these crooks in Punjab in India advertised in Sri Lanka and around the subcontinent that there was a T20 Sri Lankan professional cricket league starting up, the first cricket league since coronavirus. No fans allowed. They hired a ground in the Punjab in India They put tents around it so no one outside could see in and put up Sri Lankan advertising hoardings all around the ground. Then all the players wore face masks because of coronavirus and claimed to be past first class and test cricketers from Sri Lanka. Apparently, they had two games covered on YouTube. They had their own commentators. The whole thing was rigged. They were betting with bookmakers. Players knew what they had to do when they came in. Scores were agreed upon before any balls were bowled. And it was only eagle-eyed fans who noticed that one of the players was an ex-Sri-Lankan Test cricketer who was a right-handed batsman who had suddenly become a left-handed batsman that, <laughs> that the thing started to stink a bit. Now, there have been some arrests, but most of the players are not identified because of their corona masks, the other problem was that there were some effects mics, and for some reason, all these Sri Lankans were speaking in Punjabi. But it's a fair income story, and they're now counting the cost of supposedly millions of rupees won on betting on these games. The fake Sri Lankan Cricket League.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. They're the depths to which cricket has descended. Uh, all right, there is life hacks for this week. Um, I'm a little testy tonight, so, uh, let's finish off with a good rant. On footyology, the rant off. All right. Well, normally, uh, we ham it up a bit in this segment finally, but I'm a bit, uh, fired up about something and, uh, it is a news report today by Sam McClure about the ill fated Adelaide pre-season camp. Count me in.
1: One, two, three, go for it, brother.
0: I'm pissed off with Adelaide, Finey, the club and its supporters. I think the Crows are in denial. And no, that isn't a place in Africa. It's a waterway otherwise known as De Torrens. It runs right past the Adelaide cricket ground. And for the last three years, it's carried an awful lot of debris by way of blinkered eyes, closed ears, and not nearly enough mirrors of personal reflection. It took the club's administration way too long to even acknowledge, let alone act upon the fallout, From that disastrous pre-season training camp, which far from seeing the Crows go one better than a grand final appearance, has now seen the bottom fall out of the place. In fact, there's some, including a former champion Crow and a Brownlow medalist otherwise known as Mark Cresciuto, who still seem to be acting like the whole debacle has been no big deal and the Crows are still in a position of strength. We haven't seen many teams go from grand final favouritism to winless and bottom of the ladder as quickly as Adelaide has. And enough disgruntled players have cited the camp as a key factor in the fracturing of relationships between the workers and bosses there to make the ongoing mystery about exactly what happened continue to bubble away. So this weekend, the ageist Sam McClure, who's been following this story since day one, has come up with what I reckon is a cracker of a yarn. Have a read of it if you haven't already. It outlines exactly what happened on that camp, to whom and the extent of the deprivations and indignities the players endured on it. It's a great bit of football reporting, but the reaction to it has also been pretty revealing. McClure, since first reporting the dramatic impact of the camp, has been hounded about not being able to report enough specific detail. Now those same critics, of course almost invariably Adelaide fans, are claiming there was nothing new in the article, it's not relevant anymore because the camp was a long time ago, or even more ridiculously, that it's some Victorian media conspiracy. Well, if there was nothing new about it, I'm buggered if I know where all that information has been floating around because I don't think many of us have seen it. McClure had the composition of the groups at the camp, the timetable, the roll call of humiliations they had to endure, the fact that players like Tom Lynch, who was extremely ill and passed out, were made to feel like they were letting the side down. And the incredible fact that the club doctor not only had been given no details of what was going on, but hadn't even been allowed to attend. Yes, that was news all right. However uncomfortable reading it might have made for Adelaide fans and the club's administrators. Above that, though, let's hope that this expose condemns those pathetic pseudo-military camps to the dumpster. This is a game for God's sake, not preparations for a war. And being able to cut your way out of a harness with a knife placed strategically out of reach with teammates hurling abuse at you is a pretty bloody stupid way of trying to engineer football teams kicking a few more goals on the big occasion. This camp was straight out of a bygone era, totally unsuitable for today's AFL players. And the fact Adelaide officials either didn't know enough about what would happen or did and somehow still thought it was okay is a major black mark against them and their suitability to be running the affairs of an AFL club. Little wonder many of them are now gone. But gone too late to save the Crows from what looks likely to be a pretty barren few years ahead on the field. Adelaide was undergoing transition anyway, but it's not only the playing list which has a lot of growing up to do now. As a club, so do the Crows, not to mention some of their myopic fans who refuse to see what is playing to the rest of the football world.
1: That's a beauty, mate. I knew it was more than marshmallows and ghost stories.
0: Uh, it's a great story. You should have I will a read it. of it. I'll read All it. Right. All right, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, rant.
1: Can you feel Melbourne's different tonight, Rowan? This berg ain't what it used to be, ain't what it has ever been in our lifetime. That's right. The last league footballer jetted out tonight. And you know what that means, Rowan? Next time you go to a restaurant down Chapel Street, you won't be overlooked for some tattooed footballer three parties back. Oh, g'day, mate, how are you? Yeah, but I've been waiting here for half an hour. Shut up. G'day, Dusty. And you won't also find yourself uh, passed over by the female, the opposite sex, as just behind you stands a well-built Richmond on baller or Carlton midfielder. Oh, he's gorgeous. No, it's going to be a very different place. Who will FM stations turn to to get updates on Big Brother? Where have all the footballers gone, Rowan? How will we live without them? What will shop owners do? No more freebies to give away to their favourite players? No more fishing ships with extra dim sims for their beloved number 37 or number 5? No, they've all left town. And where does that leave us? Who do we get to idolise? I heard some idiot tell me we can now look to actors, or musicians, or scholars, or artists, or scientists. If they were any good Rowan, why aren't there packs of their trading cards at the checkout when I go to buy petrol? Where's the rookie card for this town's best scientist? I don't even know his name. I need Matt Scharenberg and I need him back now!
0: Uh, very good, very good. It's gonna strange times indeed, and uh, yes, it's going to be a, a barren city in some respects. So without the heroes uh, we worship for a good uh, seven or eight months of each year, will they ever return? Maybe they'll just stay up there, and the whole comp will be based up in the northern states. I, I left out Jewish one. Bi- I left
1: out one bit of my rant.
0: What are the tattoo parlors going to do? Yes, well, good point. Good. Oh point. Uh, yes. Oh well, we're, we're right, done, mate. Uh, <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, quick shout out to our sponsors again, Fionny.
1: Get a beautiful Andrews Hamburger, 144 Britport Street, Albert Park, or get a house from West Point Properties. Vic Bartels builds the best. Forget the rest.
0: All right. Uh, there it is, uh, the Round 5 Review edition. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope your team had a good win. Jump on our Patreon page and become a sponsor of Footyology for a lot of great website content. Uh, You can catch me and Finey again on Thursday with another podcast and footyology final siren. We'll catch you later.